Today we're uh, going to have a little conversation together, and today's message is really as though we're in my office, talking about uh, concern. I don't even have an office, so this is it, really. <laughs> I'm talking about a concern that uh, many of you have asked about as we continue our You Asked It sermon series. Uh, we get today to a really delicate situation. Let's see how this works, too. But uh, when you think of your favorite pizza for a moment, I don't know about you, but usually it comes to mind for me is pepperoni. Uh, but in our home, we've got a little bit of a dilemma. When we have pizza, there's this weird stuff that comes together simultaneously on it. Canadian bacon and spinach. Let's hear those boos a little louder. <laughs> I mean, how do you simultaneously have Canadian and bacon and spinach together on the same pizza? Now, spinach by itself causes issues, or should cause issues for you this morning. This morning we're talking about something that usually doesn't go well together. We're talking about religion and politics. For many of you today, that's like spinach and Canadian bacon on pizza. Politics alone frightens some of you. Politics alone ruffles some of your feathers. And we've got a difficult situation I think if most of us could agree this morning that religion and politics isn't going so well in our country today. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on today. I think you would agree with me that for the most part, our country is in trouble. By any data point that you look at, our country is in trouble. Not just our country, though. If you look at the state of Christianity, Christianity is in trouble. Now, the two don't go hand in hand. But oftentimes in our circumstance, we find them to be related to one another. This morning we're going to talk about this difficult issue of politics and our faith. Many of you asked this, you asked it sermon series, questions about politics and our faith. So I want to read those questions that you shared. As a Christian, how do I handle the presidential election when I support neither person? How do we determine which candidate to vote for when it seems none of them stand for biblical principles? How involved should we be as Christians in politics? Can we support one who is pro an issue like abortion because their other positions are better for the poor, for example? How can we do our civic duty when there is no candidate for president that a Christian can support? Election year, help. <laughs> so this morning, those are the questions you asked. We want to dig in today and talk about how does our life of faith, how does the fact that we follow Jesus Christ impact the way we answer those questions. Today is not a time for endorsements. Today is not a time for disendorsements. We're not going to talk about specific candidates today. Our goal today is to get a framework to work from, that as followers of Christ, we'd have a framework to operate from as we wrestle with these issues. And so I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 today. That's where we're going to begin as we try to understand the path forward. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with the 12th verse. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with the 12th verse. The Apostle Paul is writing here, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that, consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
But those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal, reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, so that by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Here in Philippians chapter 3, what we really have is we have a vision for the Christian life. The Apostle Paul is laying out what does the Christian life look like. Earlier in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul told us how he became a Christian. Earlier in chapter 3, he described that he used to think you became a Christian by obeying the law, by following all of these religious habits, these religious festivals. But then he came to know Jesus Christ by faith. So earlier in chapter 3, he says, I consider all rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ, because he knows now it's through Christ that he becomes a Christian. Now in the rest of chapter 3, we get his vision of what is the Christian life. The Christian life, according to the Apostle Paul, is simply this, focusing on Jesus. He says it in a variety of different ways there. He says, I press on toward the goal, heavenward, where Christ Jesus is. I want to know Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 3 there, he says it a little different way. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait for our Savior from there. So the Christian life can be described as following our King who is in heaven, while at the same time we're waiting for that King to come here to earth, to transform our lowly body to be like His. So the Christian life is one of being a citizen of heaven. That's who we are. We are citizens of heaven. And when we talk about politics, when we talk about government, the first truth that we have to recognize is this, that when we step into the voting booth, I'm stepping in as a citizen of heaven. My citizenship in heaven is not something that I can just lay aside for five minutes and then pick back up five minutes later. When you go to work tomorrow, you're a citizen of heaven. When you have a conversation with a friend this afternoon, you're a citizen of heaven. You can't just lay aside that citizenship for a little while and then pick it up again. Faith isn't something that we believe for 10 minutes now and now we don't believe any longer so I don't have to have my faith influence me. This is who I am. I am a citizen of heaven. So when you step into the voting booth, guess what you're doing? You're representing King Jesus. When you step into your workplace, guess what you're doing? You're representing King Jesus. In your marriage, guess what's happening? You're representing King Jesus. You're a citizen of heaven. So one of the very important things to, to know is this, is that our citizenship in heaven comes way before our affiliation with a political party. I am a citizen of heaven before I'm a Democrat. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a Republican. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm in the Green Party. My citizenship in heaven is a priority above my affiliation with a political party. Because guess what? Political party is a broken institution created by broken people. 
A political party is going to end at some point. They come and they go. So both political parties that we have in America, for the most part, we have two, but there's, there's more. If you looked at every political party in America, you could find something that's wrong with them. There's, there's not a perfect political party in America. There's not one political party in America that represents the desires of King Jesus in perfection. Not one. So this morning we've got to talk specifically about political parties and point out why that is. And I don't mean to offend anyone this morning, but God's Word should offend all of us at different times. The state of South Dakota is run by Republicans. This is not opinion. This is fact. Republicans control every vote, basically. They hold every state office. So you could say the Republican Party controls the state of South Dakota. In the state of South Dakota, we have a serious problem with video lottery. A serious problem with video lottery. I believe last year, video lottery brought into the state budget $108 million. $108 million from gambling. Now, is there a private business involved? Absolutely. We're taxing a private business. But guess who owns the machines? The state owns the machines. You are part owner of those machines. Do you know the only way the lottery business works? is if you have returning customers. The lottery business is built for one thing, addiction. My good friend Jerry Hoyer always says, you never see anyone leaving with a bag of money. So can you imagine if the system was built on one-time customers? They wouldn't exist. So the government is putting in place a trap. It's exactly what it is. It's built as a trap to trap people and keep them addicted and then fund our government activities off of it. Okay, that's a problem. That is a problem. The Republican Party has a problem in our state. Now, to set that aside, is that say, oh, anti-Republican? No, it's just to point out they're not a perfect reflection of King Jesus. Now, the Democrats. Democrats have a problem too. The Scriptures clearly teach that life is a gift from God that we all know the science, two people have to get together, male and female, right? We don't have to go into that today. But Scripture still teaches that every single life is a gift from God, that even as the Psalms declare, as early in the womb, that is a life that's a gift from God. The official democratic platform says that abortion should be legal. Okay, that is opposed to the desire of Jesus Christ. Because according to the Scriptures, only God can give and take life. That's a serious problem. This last week, my wife and I had the opportunity to have a, whatever you call the picture that you take of, of our third chi- child. And you see the picture of the third child? The, hey, that, that's a human being. Now, when you're in there, you're extremely nervous because you have no control at all. I mean, you want to talk about being in the situation where you have no say at all, Right? If, if something's wrong on the picture, there's nothing you can do. Nothing at all. So is that human life that's in the other human being completely dependent upon a human being? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but the argument that because that human is dependent upon another human doesn't mean that they have the right to life, it doesn't make logical sense because guess what? Here in the city of Sioux Falls, There's not just a hundred, there's thousands of people of a variety of ages that are completely dependent upon another human for life. Because that other human is bringing them medication, 
That other human is operating the machine that's keeping them alive. And we once say that that person then loses their right to life the moment they become dependent upon another human being for life. Again, the point this morning is not to beat on the Democrats or beat this issue. The point is this, that they're not a perfect reflection of King Jesus. The Republicans aren't a perfect reflection. The Democrats aren't a perfect reflection of King Jesus. And when I step into the voting booth, I'm representing King Jesus. Therefore, guess what's always going to happen? There's always going to be a little disgruntlement when I have to pull the lever. Because there's no perfect candidate. There's no perfect issue solution because we're in a broken world. If you can pull the lever and you have no trouble with your conscience, I want to challenge you this morning. You should have a problem with your conscience because the person you're voting for, there's something wrong with them. They're going to do something evil. But we still go and we represent King Jesus to the best of our ability where our conscience can be honoring to God. So the first thing we have to know is this. I am a representative of King Jesus because I'm a citizen of heaven. And my citizenship in heaven is above and prioritized above all political affiliations. The second thing when it comes to Christianity and government comes from the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Chapter 2, I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 2. As a citizen of heaven, I represent King Jesus in the voting booth. As a citizen of heaven, I am subject to governing authorities. As a citizen of heaven, I am subject to governing authorities. It means I obey governing authorities. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These might be some of the most difficult words in the Bible to have to swallow. Do you realize what Paul is saying here, Peter? Peter is saying this. Hey, you know that government official that's killing Christians? Respect them. You know that government official that wants to burn down the temple and end Christianity forever? Honor them. The, the emperor who's alive at the time of this writing is worse than anything you can anyone you can imagine. This emperor has burned Christians alive. This emperor was beheading people in front of others. This emperor would sometimes kill complete masses of people. For example, everyone under the age of two now, dead. Just like that. That emperor, God says this, you need to honor that emperor. Why? Not because they're honorable. Not because they're respectable. But because the Lord has instituted government. The Lord has put them in that place. Now, this raises all sorts of difficult questions, right? I mean, right here, it doesn't get much clearer. God puts these people in place, the emperor, the governors. There's been some bad government leaders throughout history. Hitler, Stalin. Did God put them in place? 
he just raises these mysterious questions. But one thing is clear, that God says government is instituted by God, therefore you need to honor the government officials. We've got a serious problem in our nation, and we as Christians have a serious problem. We think giving someone respect depends upon them being respectable. No, it doesn't. We give someone respect and honor because God says so. It's for the Lord's sake. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 there. This is not for us. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. It's not be subject because of the governor or the emperor or be subject for the emperor's sake. No, for the Lord's sake. You're honoring God by subjecting yourself to a government official. Now, what if the government says do something that's against the will of God. That's against the law of God. Well, this happened. The government in this time told the apostles, they said to them, hey, stop talking about Jesus. This is what they did. They said, hey, uh, we can't, Jesus is becoming popular. That can't happen. So what do they do? They tell the apostles, stop talking about Jesus. What do the apostles do? Acts 5, Peter says, I'm sorry. I cannot obey man. I have to obey God. But then at the exact same time, this is critical, what does Peter do? Peter accepts punishment from the government. So the government said, hey, you talk about Jesus, you're getting thrown in jail. So what does Peter do? He talks about Jesus because God says to talk about Jesus. But at the same time, what does he do? He goes to jail. He accepts the punishment from the governing authority that has been put in place. Now this, you're going, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, take that up with God. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense. But, but we're asked to obey God, and then if there's consequences, guess what? We've got to live with them. The book of 1 Peter also talks about what? You are blessed when you're suffering for righteousness. You're not blessed when you get a speeding ticket for going 95 in an 80, right? You deserve the speeding ticket. But 1 Peter, if you're going 60 in an 80 and you get a speeding ticket because you're a Christian, guess what? Pay the ticket and you're blessed because you're suffering. This is going to happen. At some point, this is going to happen. The very popular one to throw out is this. is Oh, man, what if the government says we can't talk about Jesus anymore? I mean, at some point, they're going to say, hey, as a church, you can't just talk about Jesus. You also have to offer another way because it's not politically correct to say there's only one way to heaven. So they'll say, hey, you're going to lose your tax exemption if you're not willing to offer multiple pathways. But guess what? This is really easy. You talk about Jesus and you lose your tax exemption. Okay, the government wants the tax exemption. They can have the tax exemption. Guess what? I'm still going to give to my church even though I don't get the tax deduction. God doesn't say tithe so you get a tax deduction. Guess what happens in China? There's no tax deductions for tithing. So, we obey God rather than man when man is opposed to God, and then what? We've got to take the punishment that comes from man. We could learn a lot, and we could change a lot of hearts by simply living out the biblical mandate to show respect even when people don't deserve respect. This flows right into this next thing about politics and Christianity, is that we respect even when they don't deserve it. The second piece is this. We extend kindness even when they don't deserve it. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4. We could spend 10 sermons on this one little phrase here. Ephesians 4, the final verse in Ephesians 4, 4.32 and into 5.1. Ephesians 4, verse 32 and 5.1. He's speaking to Christians here. Remember, this is how Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, are supposed to to live their lives. If you're a non-Christian today, I'm so glad you're here. I really am. What you're doing is you're getting a picture of what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian. This is what a life of Christianity is supposed to look like. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice what it doesn't say. Be imitators of your neighbor. Right? This is one of our biggest problems in politics today, right? So-and-so throws up a negative ad and lies about the other candidate. Well, what does the other candidate do then? Well, hey, they lied about me. I can now lie about them. Do you, do you hear the logic there? Their behavior justifies my behavior. You and I use the exact same logic all the time. So-and-so's not nice to me. I don't have to be nice to them. God's word differs with us drastically. That as citizens of heaven, we imitate the king from heaven. We do not imitate the behavior that's reflected to us. Notice the words there. Two words. They're the exact same word. As. In verse 32 and verse 1. As beloved children. As God. So what are we reflecting to someone? What represents a child of God? And we're reflecting what God has done to us. Very simply, you can put this way. Do unto others what God has done unto you. Do unto others what God has done unto you. Some of us this morning really struggle with being kind to President Obama. Some of us this morning really struggle with respecting President Obama. We say things to others individually. We post things on Facebook that are frankly disrespectful, that are frankly unkind. We're going against the Word of God. Has President Obama done things that I, that I personally disagree with? Yes. That doesn't give me the authority, though, to be unkind to him. Do you know what our goal is as Christians? Our goal is to be kind. Our goal is to not, not do harm. Many of us live the Christian life this way. We're like, well, as long as I'm not swearing about President Obama, as long as I'm not calling President Obama a liar, I'm not crossing the line. No, no, no. Guess what? You're supposed to be kind to President Obama. For just a moment, when's the last time you prayed for our president? Besides praying that he would learn his lesson and get it right next time. Can you ima- for just a moment, can you imagine trying to raise two teenage girls in the White House? I mean, it's hard enough raising, at least I have heard, it's hard enough raising teenage girls just in a normal home. Can you imagine the pressure Everybody knows everything. Can you imagine the pressure every day of, with one switch, one switch, he can take a whole nation out. One switch, one command. The most powerful man in the universe. Can you imagine the pressure? We have a hard enough time making decisions when we've got a little bit of pressure on us. And pressure what? Causes us to sometimes make a mistake. Maybe we need to exercise a little grace and mercy to the president. The pressure alone would cause them to sometimes make bad decisions. Is it in your heart to be kind to whoever is president, no matter what 
their political affiliation. As citizens of heaven, we're called to respect and be kind, no matter if they deserve kindness or if they're respectable for the Lord's sake. It's not easy. As citizens of heaven, I represent King Jesus in the voting booth. As citizens of heaven, I'm subject to governing authorities. As a citizen of heaven, I reflect the image of God to others. So, as a citizen of heaven, how should I vote? Well, to be really frank, this book was written when there was nothing like a democracy that existed. There was no voting going on. The emperor would say, hey, I'm picking this person, and they're going to go run this little territory over there. There's just nothing in here about how to vote. It wasn't on their minds at all. So, so how do we vote then? Well, the first thing is this. Get your aim right. Above all, are you aiming in the right spot? Where should we be aiming? As a citizen of heaven, my aim is to honor King Jesus. That's my aim. When I step in the voting booth, I want to bring honor to Jesus by the way I vote. When I'm involved in government, I want to honor Jesus by the way I interact. That's my aim. Well, then what? If I've got my aim set, then what? you got some work to do. you got to study. you got to pray. you got to converse. you got to dig in and ask yourself the question, what's the best strategy to help my neighbor? The second commandment that God gives is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So if the second commandment that summarizes all the other commandments is to love your neighbor, it'd be a pretty good method to follow to say, when I'm voting, God wants me to vote for something that's going to benefit my neighbor. Because that's what God wants us to do is to love our neighbors. So therefore, when you're voting, the main issue isn't your pocketbook. The main issue is your neighbor. What's going to benefit your neighbor? Now, some of you aren't going to like this at all, and this stuff gets pastors fired. Guess what? We might disagree on how to best care for your neighbor. We might disagree on the best strategy moving forward. Let's get right to the heart of it, the most prickly issue of all. The most prickly issue that we deal with. Every election season, the most prickly issue that our country deals with is the issue of abortion. This is just a difficult issue. It's never easy, no matter what the circumstance for the person involved, for the people involved, it's never easy to have to make a decision that affects something that for them maybe they would believe would become a human life. There's no winners in this at all. The reasons for abortion are all over the place. Sometimes the reason is something that was done to someone. Sometimes the reason is economics. The reasons are all over the place. And the pain that comes is horrifying. The pain that comes is horrifying. And as Christians, our position is not how they deserve it. Our position is, I love them as God loved me. Because as Christians, guess what? This isn't the worst sin. I mean, this is really confusing. As Christians, we would all say what? All sin is equal. We preach this. But rarely do we execute on this. Is it sin? Absolutely. It is sin to take another human life. It's also sin to be jealous of my neighbor's car. 
It's also sin to lie to my parents. So on this specific issue of abortion, let me give you an example of the difficulty of voting. I know people, and and I've done it myself at different times, I have voted for a pro-choice candidate. And I'll do it again at different times. Why? Because I believe that caring for the poor may be the best way to save more babies. Is the law going to change in the land? Absolutely not. But a law does not make our nation righteous. You could have all the righteous laws you want on the book. That doesn't make our nation righteous. What makes us righteous is faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, there can never be a righteous nation because a nation can't have faith. So as a Christian, I might say, hey, the best way to help my neighbor is I'm going to vote for this person because I think they're actually going to care for the poor better. The law is not going to change, but I believe there's going to be less abortions next year. That's how one Christian might handle it. Another Christian might say, I have got to vote this way because we've got to change the laws. That's the best way to save more babies. Guess what? We need to extend a little respect to one another. We need to be willing to say, we've got the same heart. Save human life. So maybe it's okay to extend a little respect and kindness to one another, recognizing that we have a little different strategy. There's different avenues to reach the end goal. This is tough. It's not easy. That's why God's given us the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. That we have this framework to operate from now. As a citizen of heaven, I seek to honor Jesus Christ. As a citizen of heaven, I seek to be obedient to the government. As a citizen of heaven, I seek to extend kindness even when they don't deserve kindness. And I've got to live within this framework and make tough decisions. Well, God's given us His Spirit to come and guide us to lead us, to give us understanding and knowledge. So we have all that we need to make decisions that are God-honoring. But it's going to be tough, and it's going to be rough at different times. This morning, we would do well. We would do really, really well if we extend a little respect and kindness to one another, a little patience, because guess what? God has extended that to you time and time again. If you're looking for victory on November 8th this next year, you're looking in the wrong place. Nobody wins on November 8th. I don't care who gets elected. Nobody wins. All that happens is a human institution begins to operate maybe a little different way. There's going to be some losers. There's going to be some winners. But at the end of the day, guess what? Nobody wins the ultimate battle, which is heaven, which is the resurrection from the dead. If you want victory, take your eyes off of the Oval Office and put your eyes in the throne room of heaven where King Jesus is located. It says in Philippians chapter 3, Apostle Paul says, but I'm a citizen of heaven and from there I await a Savior. There is no Savior on any ballot at any given time. There is only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He comes from heaven. And that's where we put our focus today. That's where we look for our victory is from King Jesus. And then we seek to honor King Jesus the best that we can in this fallen world. Let's go forth and be citizens of heaven. People who seek to honor Jesus. People who are obedient to the government. People who are extending kindness and respect even to those we dislike. 
Let's go forth and be children of God because that is what we are. That is what we have been made by the blood of Jesus Christ for he is our king. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we acknowledge that this is a tough issue. We acknowledge that there's differing opinions and thoughts. And God, if I've misspoke this morning, I ask that you'd correct our thinking, my thinking. God, we acknowledge that oftentimes we've missed the boat on this. We acknowledge that oftentimes we have not acknowledged your sovereignty and your purposes. So God, forgive us where we've been wrong. And God, right now I pray that you'd give each of us a heart right now. I pray that you would make it each of our hearts desire to leave here and extend kindness to people who are different than us. Make it our passion to extend respect to leaders. And God, I pray that today you would awaken us to the hope that we have from heaven. Turn our eyes, turn our minds, turn our hearts to heaven where you come from. God, we give you thanks for your patience and your kindness. And God, we also lift up and pray right now for President Obama and his wife Michelle and his two daughters, praying that, God, they would experience your kindness today. Pray for Governor Dugard and his wife, that they would experience your kindness today. God, we pray for them, that they would come to know you, that, Lord, they would experience love from people all around. And we pray that you'd protect them all today. God, we thank you for this country that you've placed us in. God, we thank you for the blessing of living in a country where we can sing praise to you. God, thank you for that blessing. For however long we have it or will have it, we give you thanks. And we give thanks, Lord, that there are Christians in other countries that are praising you today. God, thank you for bringing your people together from a variety of nations. Thank you for your promises, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for making us your children. In Jesus' name. Amen.